Hello, it's Friday 26th of November. I'm Gary Bowman. Welcome to the fourth edition of our new weekly news and current affairs show. So let's get ready for takeoff. This is the SEA Travel News Show. Hello, wherever you are in the world, and thanks for listening in to the SEA Travel News Show. This week, I'll be talking to Vientiane-based Jason Rowland about Laos's reopening plans and the upcoming launch of the highly anticipated China-Laos Railway. Stay tuned for that as he delivers some intriguing on-the-spot insights. Plus, Hannah dials in to report on last weekend's Malaysian Association of Tour and Travel Agents, or Matter Fair, which is Malaysia's largest consumer travel show, and took place for the first time in two years. And we have an upbeat excerpt from my interview with Dan Lin, co-founder of Singapore-based Zuzu Hospitality. But as always, let's begin with a look at this week's three biggest travel talking points. And we start here in Malaysia and in Singapore, where a pretty rare land border reopening was announced this week, not something that we've been accustomed to in Southeast Asia in recent months. The causeway between Malaysia and Singapore was one of the world's busiest land crossing points before the pandemic, but it's been used mostly, almost exclusively, by delivery trucks in recent months. This week, the two governments announced 1,440 fully vaccinated residents and long-term visa holders per day can cross the causeway in each direction from Singapore to Malaysia and from Malaysia to Singapore on 32 daily assigned bus trips in each direction. Tickets went on sale yesterday, Thursday 25th, and promptly sold out within minutes for several days ahead which highlights the heavy demand for people to travel between the two countries, both for work and to reconnect with family living across the border. The Singapore-Malaysia cross-border vaccinated travel lane commences on Monday, 29th of November, the same day as the first flights will take off from Singapore Changi and Kuala Lumpur International Airports as the eagerly awaited vaccinated travel lane for air travel commences between the two neighboring nations. One thing we've noticed is that fairly cautious caps are in place for both the air travel and the land border vaccinated travel lanes. But the governments have said that they will monitor this closely. And over the coming weeks, they may raise both caps. More reopening news, this time from the Philippines, where the Department of Tourism announced last weekend that fully vaccinated visitors from 44 green list countries will be permitted to enter the country, although no commencement date was specified at the time. The Bureau of Immigration this week said that it was on board for the reopening, and, and I hope you're following this carefully, the IATF, or Interagency Task Force for the Management of Emerging Infectious Diseases, has yet to ratify the reopening, although the IATF did actually issue the resolution putting forward this idea of 44 green list countries. The decision, it seems, is imminent, perhaps even today. The first phase of the Philippines reopening utilizes another of those irksome green lists of eligible countries and territories that we've become used to here in Southeast Asia. And this one makes for pretty interesting reading. As I mentioned before, there are 44 eligible countries and territories in total. Some names on there are expected, such as China, India, and Japan. Indonesia is the only country listed from Southeast Asia. 
The United States, Canada, and all European nations are currently excluded, and there are a few outlier inclusions, such as the Falkland Islands, Marshall Islands, and Saint-Pierre and Miquelon. According to the 18th of November IATF resolution, fully vaccinated green list arrivals must take a PCR test within 72 hours before departure from their home country, but no facility-based quarantine will be required when they enter the Philippines, and there will be no on-arrival PCR test either. And finally this week to Vietnam. On last week's show, you may remember I discussed Vietnam's low-scale reopening, which is coinciding with a fresh outbreak of COVID-19 infections, rather sadly. This has continued to worsen with a seven-day average now of over 14,600 daily cases. More concerning is the seven-day average of cases described as serious, which is currently at slightly more than 5,000 per day. That's the highest level since early October. Ho Chi Minh City-based Mike Tatarski, who we interviewed in July for our Year So Far in ASEAN series, pointed out in his excellent Vietnam Weekly this week that unfortunately we are back to the point where COVID-19 is dominating the news. According to official data, 46.1 million people in the country are fully vaccinated. The distribution is uneven, however, nationwide, with several provinces lagging far behind due to the supply of vaccines. As referenced last week, Vietnam has reopened five destinations in the country, which include popular hotspots like Phu Quoc, Hoi An and Da Nang, quarantine-free to fully vaccinated travellers from 72 eligible countries. According to official sources, it says that all five destinations have, and I quote, high vaccination rates with as many as 90% of the population of Phu Quoc fully vaccinated, although it doesn't, of course, state uh, the exact percentages in those other destinations. Last weekend saw Malaysia's largest consumer travel show, the Matter Fair, take place in the capital Kuala Lumpur. Hannah went along to find out what shape the show was in after a two-year absence. She dialed in this week and I began by asking her how she would describe this year's Matter Fair. Well, usually the Matter Fair is the biggest consumer travel fair in Malaysia, so it happens twice a year. March and September and this is the time when travel agents and consumers really look forward to having all of the deals and it's a big big deal so the fact that Mata believed that the time was right to host another Mata fair is really hopeful it's really optimistic now normally Mata fair spans four different halls when I first started to go uh, in 2012 it was only three halls and then more recently in the past few years they added on another hall just for domestic travel this time round, it was two halls only, um, and those halls were not even fully utilised. So in terms of scale, it was much, much smaller. But I really think that the, the atmosphere there was pretty hopeful. I next asked Hannah whether the focus of this year's show was primarily domestic or whether there were some international activities as well. It was really split the fair between two halls, so Hall 4, which was focusing exclusively on domestic travel. So this is where a lot of the Malaysian states had their own tourism booths. Tourism Malaysia was there in full force. Um, and then downstairs in Hall 3 was more of the international travel products. Now, international stands, this is where we saw all of the NTOs. So Korea was there, Taiwan, Turkey. 
Tokyo even. Um, so these all had their own dedicated stands to try and attract the Malaysian travellers. And, uh, you know, if you compared this to to the last one, um, you know, in terms of scale, the booths were nothing, you know. it was They were getting really elaborate, really fancy back in 2019. Um, this time round, they have really scaled it down, but they still had activities on, which is what they tend to do. You could see that they were still supporting the travel agents. They were still hopeful. They still really see Malaysia as a core market um, for them, and it's something that needs to be nurtured. And were there any travel booths or campaigns that really caught the eye? One of the biggest changes um, this time round, and it, it's quite specific to the, the, the travel agent landscape in Malaysia, is there are a couple of big wholesalers, and one of them is called um, Ice Holidays, and they sell um, under a consumer brand called Golden Destinations. Now, these guys, up until now, have never been permitted, actually, to have their own booth. Um, they have had to um, advertise via sub-agents. So there have been lots and lots of travel agencies advertising Golden Destinations, but the company behind it, Ice Holidays, was never actually permitted to have their own booth. Now, a big change this time round was that Matter actually decided, yes, you can have your own booth. And they kind of brought the agents in there. So that was kind of interesting in terms of landscape shifting. But if they hadn't been there, it would really have been a big shock uh, to the Malaysian travel landscape. So I think in some ways that's why Matter made that concession. Other booths that caught the eye, I mean, Korea... A tourism organization, of course, they always have beautiful um, decorations. Uh, this time was no change, and I think they were even having games um, from Squid Game. So that was really fun to have Squid Game, and um, you know, it just shows how Korea is very smart in taking advantage of kind of popular culture and this interesting K dramas. That was great to see too, quite innovative. And finally, how well attended was this year's Matter Fair? Now the stats aren't out yet um, in terms of. Um, the number of attendees at Matter Fair. So certainly it had high expectations. It was hoping to generate 25 million ringgit in revenue and attract 20,000 visitors. They haven't said yet whether they managed to do that. I, I um, informally asked some of the Matter organizers and they said it was better than expected. Um, you know, they, they did see that there was good attendance. And myself, you know, I went there very early on Saturday morning, so as soon as it opened. So it's kind of hard to gauge from that how well it was attended, but already people were queuing outside. There was an excitement. Inside, by the time I left, there were certainly big queues for, for uh, domestic attractions like Legoland, um, like uh, in Ipoh, um, the lost world of, of um, Tambun as well. Um, so there was really this Definitely this hunger, at least to snap up some domestic deals. And I think the international booths, when I was chatting to the exhibitors, they were kind of realistic. I don't think they were expecting necessarily to close big, big sales this time round. But it was more showing their regular customers, we're here, we're ready, we are up for traveling again. And for me, yeah, it, it was wonderful to be able to catch up with some familiar faces and, and see what's going on in the, that kind of changing landscape. Of, of Malaysia's travel agencies. The spectacular country of Laos has been overshadowed as more prominent destinations in Southeast Asia have grabbed the reopening headlines. Laos, however, has tentatively set in motion its own reopening plan and is about to make its mark on the global news agenda with the long-anticipated opening of the China-Laos Railway. For the latest news from Laos, I called up Jason Roland 
who is senior partner at Vientiane-based RDK Group. Jason has been a regular and very popular guest on the Southeast Asia Travel Show, and I'll post links to his previous appearances on the show in this week's show notes. Jason, so firstly, Laos has been weathering a worsening wave of COVID-19 infections in recent months. Uh, what's the current situation? Um, Laos really weathered its first wave in 2020 quite well, with only about 50 cases in total with, and zero deaths. But then the second wave began in April into June of this year, and then a third wave began again in September and still with us currently. Uh, we're averaging over 1,000 cases and several deaths per day. But as of right now, we officially have a total of about 66,000 cases and only just 140 deaths. So put into real terms, only 0.9% of the population has had COVID. But the effects of the lockdowns are much more far-reaching. Yeah, so how is that impacting daily life and travel? Um, in most urban areas, life is still carrying on rather normally, with the exception of continued closures of schools and like nightlife establishments. Um, Laos's larger cities have been dealing with COVID for the better part of this year, while more remote provinces are only just beginning to have their first cases ever. So they're actually entering their own first waves. So there's a real dichotomy of tolerance for living with COVID right now. Um, the urban areas are a bit more prepared and maybe even just more resigned to the new normal situation. Remoter areas are more paranoid about the virus because it's their first exposure to it. And is it the Delta variant that's, that's causing the, the problems? Uh, the last we've heard is Delta, and we had Delta Plus as well, so, but they haven't really been mentioning that anymore. And what about vaccinations? Obviously, vaccinations across the region are key to getting life back to some degree of normality. What's the current vaccination rate and situation nationwide in Laos? Yeah, vaccinations are still rolling out. Um, all of our vaccines are donated, so we have to keep waiting on um, more shipments to arrive. Uh, we just got about over a million doses uh, last week from China. Uh, I, I really wish we had the strong rollout that Cambodia had. But to date, we fully vaccinated approximately 65% of adults in Laos, and the government has just revised its policy to start allowing 12 to 17-year-olds to receive uh, Sinopharm vaccines as well. And is there any movement on booster vaccines? Um, not yet, not officially anyways. And so in terms of travel, Jason, obviously the situation has been quite difficult over, the, over recent months. And from the outside, we've been reading stories that Laos is looking for what it calls a green zone reopening of international travel. Are there any developments on this? You know, what do you think is a kind of timeline for this? Sure. I mean, the Laos Green Travel Zone is still in the draft stage and the early, early processes of getting it passed and everything through all the ministries. I mean, it was very easy in the, in the beginning of the, of the crisis for the government to flick the tourism switch off, but turning it back on is a really complicated can of worms at best. Um, as I understand the plan right now, tourists arriving to Laos will still need a certificate of entry, proof of vaccination, a negative PCR test within 72 hours, and then take another PCR test on arrival to show evidence of travel insurance and also activate a contact, uh, contact tracing app. But these measures still seem really prohibitive compared to the ease of entry into places like Cambodia or Thailand. So I worry that tourists will just choose to go elsewhere if, Laos, uh, if Laos's uh, entry requirements are just too difficult. Initially, the plan uh, designated Vinh Chan, Vang Vien, and Long Prabang as the green travel zones. But these will expand to cover larger areas of the country as more provinces meet certain vaccination criteria. Tourists would arrive into the green zone, probably by air or by land, 
and then transferred to a Lao Safe certified hotel for one day to await their test results. Lao Safe is Laos's new health and hygiene safety certification standard for tourism and hospitality providers, including things like accommodation, restaurants, guides, drivers, airlines, and tourism sites. So all of these businesses uh, and providers will need to get certified through this program to be able to accept international clients. And so then once the tourist PCR test comes back negative in their hotel, then they're allowed to travel around the green zone as they wish. But if the PCR test is positive, then they have to self-isolate in the hotel for another three days and then get tested again. And this process could be extend on and on. So it could be a bit of a hassle. Um, and then at the end of the time in Laos, tourists would have to get another PCR test for their flight back out again. Initially, initially this plan is proposed to allow Laos's top 10 source markets back into the country um, with more nationalities added at a later date. They're aiming to get the country ready for reopening on the 1st of January, but I'm really skeptical that preparations can be made at that quickly. And if we do reopen, then who could come in at such a short notice? Uh, it'll be a while before we can get international flights restarted and then a PR machine out to the world on the requirements into Laos and that we're back open again. Yeah, familiar challenges across the region, Jason. You know, we've seen this in places like Bali. You know, reopenings happen, but the flights aren't there. And you know, as we've as we know so well that you know the airlines really do grease the oils of of this travel machine. And until those are in place, uh, countries can reopen their borders. You've got to get people to come, and as you say, the marketing there is going to be vital. One of the big stories coming up is that next week, the second of December, is Laos National Day. And that has for quite a long time now been set as the start date for the new China-Laos railway, which is highly anticipated. So come on, Jason, tell us, what's the, what's the hot news on that? <laughs> um, well, according to the latest announcements, there will now be an official opening of the railway on December 3rd um, for unknown reasons, maybe to allow Laos to celebrate its National Day you know, without the, the, tr the railway overshadowing it or anything like that. It's, but it's also unclear right now when passenger service was, will actually begin. Um, but they say that they will begin with two daily passenger train departures that will run domestically, and then also two daily international cargo departures that will run all the way into China. As of right now, fares have not even been agreed upon or released. Uh, the railway will also be a time savings. Um, I've had a few government friends invited to take some test runs on the rail on the railway, and they got between Vientiane and Longerbong in just an hour and a half compared with 40 minutes by air or about seven hours by road. So um, as rail infrastructure came a bit late to the country, though, the stations in some of the larger cities are really a bit outside of the city center. So it's a, maybe a time savings in transit, but maybe not a time savings getting to it from the station. But whenever it does begin, the train will definitely be a tourism draw in its own right. I have seen both Thai and Lao travel companies already advertising tours on the train, and that's without even real pricing fascinating yeah i mean it's it's such a highly anticipated event and yourself jason when are you expecting to jump on board i would love to ride the rails as soon as possible i i can't wait to ride through some really interesting scenery through the country and be able to stop off at maybe even some of the smaller stations and explore these new areas which the railway would definitely help to open up brilliant well hopefully jason if laos does reopen uh, we can all come and, and join you next year and ride the rails together i look forward to it Many thanks to Jason Rowland in Vientiane for his time and his invaluable insights as always.
And we finish this week on an upbeat note by turning to online travel and hotel booking. I was joined on the Southeast Asia Travel Show this week by Singapore-based Dan Lin, who is co-founder of Zuzu Hospitality and whose career has included management roles for leading online travel players such as Expedia, the AirAsia Expedia joint venture, and Elong. The entire interview is well worth a listen as Dan makes some astute points about a range of issues impacting regrowth in travel across Southeast Asia now and in future. To complete the discussion, I asked him if, given the massive disruption of the past 20 months, he was optimistic about the region's travel outlook in 2022. Here's his answer. See you next week. I mean, I think I'm, I'm enormously optimistic because even if things just stay exactly where they are now, we are going to have a materially better year than 2021 and 2020. I mean, you know, the level of recovery that we're already at, you know, particularly in Thailand and also, you know, in, in, in Malaysia, where you know, so much of the, of the industry is driven by domestic travel, even if we just stay at the point we are now and we just have 12 months of that, and I don't see things getting worse. I really, you know, I really think we've moved beyond that thanks to these magnificent vaccines and, you know, boosters that will, will help and perpetuate those. I don't see things going back. So you know, just having 12 months of, of, of sort of November 2021 levels is, is, you know, reason for optimism. But I think we're going to get a lot better. You know, I think, you know, the, you know the, there's a couple of markets that are still in a deep funk like Bali because of, you know, Indonesia's quarantine rules and Indonesia's visa rules. Bali is still in this deep funk, isn't seeing the international visitor come back. I think that problem is going to fix itself at some point. I think it will be late this year, early next year. I hope it's not later than that. But, you know, it, it, even if it is, it will fix itself at some point um, uh, next year. And that will be an, another sort of enormously optimistic boost forward for the industry. So I think you've got to, you've got to have a lot of um, optimism, notwithstanding your point about, yes, China, China could be a little bit longer before it comes back. 